Hi, this is my dad's podcast, Power Time. What's up, Power Players? Welcome back to the Power Time Podcast. This is an audio program for gamers of all ages. My name is Tom Tate. I will be your host and guide, taking you on a journey through the history of Nintendo, one issue of Nintendo Power Magazine at a time. Join me as we reflect fondly, or maybe not so fondly, on the music and the memories from the Nintendo and Super Nintendo Entertainment Systems. In this episode, we are going to dust off that flux capacitor and get ready to flash back to April of 1991 with the release of Volume 23 of Nintendo Power. Let's take a look at what was going on back at this time. April 7th, 1991, for the third week in a row, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, tops the box office. I absolutely remember getting this when it when it was uh, released on VHS. I remember getting it the day of uh, when it was released at my local video store. Had that big Be Kind Rewind sticker on it. It was a ton of fun uh, to get a copy of that. April 16th, 1991. For all my grunge fans out there, I'm a big rock guy myself. Uh, Temple of the Dog. This was a super group, Temple of the Dog. Uh, members of Soundgarden and Pearl Jam. They released their debut and only album, Temple of the Dog. April 26th, 1991, the sitcom Dinosaurs premieres on ABC. And I can only assume that this was during the TGIF lineup. Uh, This was a very quirky series, and I'm starting to see it pop up in Hulu ads. Uh, So maybe it's kind of making a resurgence, but uh, I'm sure many of us Remember the Not the Mama character from Dinosaurs? Uh, Great show. And when you think back on the 90s, I definitely, personally, you know, I think of that ABC TGIF lineup, Full House, Family Members, Step by Step, uh, and Dinosaurs fit right in with that. So this was not only a golden era for TV and music uh, and film, my friends. This was also a golden era for video games. The console wars are about to ignite as Sega has already unleashed the Sega Genesis and is preparing for the impending release of Sonic the Hedgehog. It's not yet released. Uh, It's going to be released in the coming summer months. And Nintendo, of course, has been teasing the release of their latest console, the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Uh, We've seen that from issue to issue over the past couple of episodes of the show. So with that in mind, let's take a look at what some may consider the calm before the storm in Volume 23 of Nintendo Power. We also have some commentary in this particular episode from Nintendo Force contributor Tony Ponce. So stick around. Uh, This is going to be a fantastic ride through the history of Nintendo. As we always do, let's kick off this episode by taking a look at the cover. And you can definitely check this out in the show notes. I have an image that you can look at for this cover, or you can head on over to powertimepodcast.com slash 23. Check out an image there as well. So this image, it is as 90s as it gets. We have the Nintendo Power logo in yellow and red, but the other colors that you'll see here is kind of this fluorescent uh, pink and purple, uh, accents of pink and purple and and kind of hot yellow, hot green. Uh, This is super 90s, of course. Uh, We have Power Blade, Alienated Computers. That's the big headline. We have an image 
of a robot kind of character who is throwing what looks like a metal or steel boomerang. Uh, he's standing on kind of a grid of, of lasers, uh, very geometric. Uh, again, very, very 90s feel uh, to it. In the background, we kind of have a pixel art type of background. Looks like actual assets from the game. Uh, we also have these firework images, which I can only assume are explosions. We saw the exact same images repurposed from the last cover, uh, which was Metal Storm. Other headlines here, we have Super Hits, Monopoly, Swordmaster, SCAT, S-C-A-T, Plus, we have Game Boy Giant Special Section. We have the official Nintendo seal of quality. And of course, down at the bottom, we saw some variants here with the tagline for the actual magazine. But here we have the source for news and strategies straight from the pros. Uh, so we saw it move back to the old tagline. Uh, still $3.50 uh, in the United States and $4.50 in Canada. Turning the page uh, for Powerline, which is kind of a quick letter from the editor. We hear a little bit about Powerblade. It's a little bit Mega Man, a little bit Rambo, a little bit Operation C with some Terminator thrown in, but it's still its own game. Uh, so pretty awesome uh, description here. Definitely sums it up. It's going to be kind of a amalgamation of all these different franchises and games and experiences. Uh, so I'm excited to learn about Powerblade. Turning over to the table of contents, you'll see that we'll also hear about Totally Rad, Swordmaster, SCAT Monopoly, which we've already mentioned. Uh, we have this big Game Boy section. We'll touch on all of these games, games like Mickey's Dangerous Chase. We have WWF Superstars, Pac-Man. Uh, of course, we have all the mainstays, Howard and Nestor, Classified Information, Counselor's Corner. Uh, the special reports, uh, we've been hearing these kind of technical special reports. This one is actually on developers. This is called the British Invasion. We'll hear about uh, different developers from the UK. Uh, and then in the info zone, uh, we have special announcements, players, poll, bulletin board, and information about the next issue. So let's just jump right in. We're going to travel to New Earth as we revisit this issue's featured game. Earth needs Nova. Something's gone wrong in the automated control center of New Earth. Alien armies have taken the master computer by force and are poised to launch an all-out attack on the unsuspecting citizens. As Special Agent Nova, you have been called to eliminate the alien menace and restore order to New Earth. First, you must collect tape units from the databases in six sectors. 
Then you must move on to the control center and reprogram the master computer. There are mechanized guards in each database and sector defenses have been set to destroy all intruders. Good luck, Nova. The future of New Earth is in your hands. This is Powerblade. So what we just listened to was Blades of Power by DJ Cutman. This is a remix of Sector 5's track from the Powerblade soundtrack, and this is off of his record, Volume 3. I have a link to this album in the show notes, and there's 33 tracks uh, from a ton of different games, and it's pay what you want. So definitely check this out uh, and support DJ Cutman. He does a ton of great work. So let's talk about the power meter. Uh, The power meter, of course, is Nintendo Power's scoring system. Powerblade received a 3.7 in graphics and sound, a 4.0 in play control, a 4.2 in challenge and excitement, and a 4.0 in theme and fun. Uh, So this is a a really good score. Uh, This is certainly above average. Uh, Utilizes the MMC3 chip. Of course, we talked about the chips earlier in the season. Uh, It's it's a great game, and I'm excited to talk about it. We open up the feature in Nintendo Power by taking a quick look at the world map. This includes six sectors that you can select and play in any order. So anyone who's familiar with uh, Mega Man, uh, you would know that you can select whichever level you want to start with. Unlike Mega Man, uh, it doesn't really matter. You don't receive power-ups, uh, so the order doesn't matter so much. Um, so you're not going to use power-ups in one level to uh, better make your way through another level. Uh, but it is cool that you have choice. You have options here. Uh, we also have a page here that says Nova has the power, and this showcases all the different abilities and weapons that Nova can use. Uh, so basic controls here, he can run, push left and right on the control pad, and run through the alien-infested sectors. Pretty straightforward. Uh, he can jump. And he can throw. So he has the Power Blade, which is a steel boomerang uh, that is your main weapon in this game. There are various weapon upgrades and items and power-ups that you can obtain in this game as well. So just quickly going through these, they're all listed here. We have the Multi-2 and Multi-3. It's going to increase the amount of boomerangs that you can throw at one time. You have the Boomer-2 and Boomer-3, which is going to increase the actual strength, uh, the hit damage of your boomerang. Uh, To obtain more life, there are hamburgers, uh, which feels super, super uh, Americanized. And we'll talk a little bit about the localization of this game because it actually did originate uh, in Japan with a Famicom title. Uh, So you can obtain hamburgers. Uh, There are energy tanks that you can collect. Uh, There's the star, which increases the actual range of your boomerang. And that's a fantastic uh, item that you're going you're going to want to pick up in this game. You can get at least three, and it increases how far you can actually throw the boomerang. Uh, grenades, you can carry up to four grenades at once, and there are power suits. Uh, there are two power suits hidden in each sector, uh, and that increases the amount of damage that you can take. Uh, so it's a valuable uh, page here in Nintendo Power just to learn about these different upgrades and items that you're going to, you're going to want to keep on the lookout for when you're playing through this game. After that, in true Nintendo Power fashion, it covers the various levels, uh, the various stages that you're going to progress through, sectors one through seven. And I'll quickly read through kind of the basic premise of these sectors and point out any cool things that I noticed when paging through Nintendo Power. So sector one is the heavily guarded New Earth Rocket Center. Uh, The cool thing uh, in this game is you have to kind of rendezvous with these various special agents. They're going to give you these ID cards. Uh, There is, I think, one ID card in every stage, uh, and you need to obtain these to kind of pass the level. Uh, So the actual locations of the agents are highlighted here in Nintendo Power, so it's helpful, so you're not just kind of running around aimlessly. Uh, Sector 2 is the New Earth Power Plant. Uh, There is a mechanical dragon at the end of this level, 
And this dragon, the illustration and also the actual pixel art, the asset in the game, reminds me so much of Mega Man. We'll talk a lot about how this game compares to Mega Man uh, in just a bit, but this mechanical dragon kind of turns into this fire wheel that rolls at you. You have to time your jump perfectly, jump over it, uh, and it's, it's a pretty challenging uh, boss. Sector 3 is the New Earth Biological Research Center. Uh, the final fight here is a beehive. Sector 4 is a construction zone. Sector 5 is the New Earth Shipyard. So this is actually something I wanted to point out. We always see these kind of screen-by-screen uh, screen layouts in Nintendo Power of a full stage, a full side-scrolling stage. Uh, some of them are very linear. They just go side-to-side. Side. Some of them you can go side-to-side, side, up and down, in various directions at various times. You can go across different paths. When it's laid out completely in this particular example, uh, it's an image that we don't see that frequently. It's a ship. Uh, it's the opening stage, which is kind of the beginning of the shipyard, and then you end up on the ship, and then you can kind of travel uh, beneath, below deck, uh, and then there's a portion of the level where you're going to go above deck and then start to climb, I guess, the whole of the ship. Uh, it's very, very cool to see this laid out. Uh, so I, I encourage you to definitely check out this issue if you can and, and take a look at this image. Uh, maybe I'll just put a quick screenshot in the show notes as well. Uh, sector six is the city sewers. Sector seven is the control center. It's a tall tower. It's very vertical level. Uh, and here you will have the final boss battle. Uh, so there's a preview here for the final boss. This is the last battle, which is the master control. This is the leader's brain. So you're going to be fighting this kind of mega computer, uh, which actually has a brain, uh, a human brain, it looks like in the uh, actual image. And of course, all of these have locations for all the different items, the power suits, uh, the special uh, rendezvous points that you need to find. So this is definitely kind of a screen-by-screen walkthrough for you uh, as you're going through Power Blade. And it's a beautiful-looking game. And that's it. I mean, that actually concludes Nintendo's review and coverage of Power Blade in this issue of Nintendo Power. But there's still so much more under the hood to discuss. And this is an exciting game, despite kind of having a, a quick uh, pass through in Nintendo Power. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to jam out to some Power Blade music. And we're going to talk about the gameplay and history of this action-packed entry when we come back. So that was Sector 7's theme from Retro Shred and their album, Video Game Metal. If you're into that, definitely check out the full record. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, so I'll link this up, uh, their Bandcamp page, because the whole album is really good. So Powerblade was developed by Natsume, 
and it was published by Tato, they had an awesome track record on the NES as a whole. So they did Scat, Shatterhand, Shadow of the Ninja. These were games that were developed by Natsume, I believe. And we know that Tato, uh, who also published these games, they were behind games like Bubble Bobble. They published a bunch of NES games uh, later on. Uh, So Wrath of Black Manta, and then these rare titles like Panic Restaurant and Little Samson. So they do have a good history on the NES. But the genesis of Power Blade actually starts with its Famicom counterpart, Power Blazer. I first learned about Power Blazer in a recent interview with Nintendo Force contributor Tony Ponce, and I shared this interview last week on the show. So if you want to listen to the full unedited interview, uh, check that out in the archives. I'll link to that as well. Uh, But let's hear a quick clip from Tony uh, as he talks through the differences between Power Blade and Power Blazer. Power Blade, and uh, there was also a sequel, Power Blade 2. What we got in the States was completely different than what Japan received, which is the game I grew up with. It was called Power Blazer. It shared uh, the music, same music, some um, background elements, and some enemies. But other than that, everything was overhauled. The hero has changed. In Power Blade, it was this uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger knockoff. And the game was very non-linear. You had to explore, trying to rescue these hostages and getting keys to access other parts of the levels. Power Blazer was a straight-up Mega Man clone. The, the hero is just Mega Man in a black wife beater. And the levels were straight, linear. And it was a little bit janky. They cleaned it up for the states, and they gave uh, the character of that game, Nova, uh, more no, more mobility. He could throw his boomerang in all directions, whereas in Power Blazer, the dude Steve, that's his name, Steve, just throws it straight forwards and back. Tony also has another great article on Power Blazer on Destructoid, which I'll link up. Uh, he goes way in-depth into what made Power Blazer such an interesting game. And it is indeed a very, very interesting game. Uh, The game itself, it was released in 1990 on the Famicom. And as Tony mentioned, you control Steve Triber, who is a short and stout little soldier who's wearing a blue helmet, not unlike Mega Man. You access a stage select screen and you travel through some fairly linear platforming stages, shooting your boomerang at different enemies. Uh, This boomerang, the Power Blazer, uh, you shoot them at mechanical enemies, some of which resemble actual animals, also not unlike Mega Man. There's one challenging platforming section in this game with vanishing blocks. It's kind of unforgiving, not unlike Mega Man. As if that wasn't enough, I was completely shocked or, you know, maybe not so shocked to learn that Steve could also collect energy tanks to refill his health. Yes, not unlike Mega Man. In fact, it was really hard for me to find a review or anything written about this game that didn't compare it to Mega Man or call it a straight-up clone. It gets criticized frequently, not for being a clone, but for difficult jump mechanics and the limited direction that you can throw your boomerang. But given the popularity of Mega Man in the United States as well, you know, I'm sure it made sense financially just to bring this over to the States. And typically, we do see ports get a fairly straightforward translation from Japan to the U.S. And we see some slight tweaks, uh, but rarely do we see like a full overhaul. And I feel like we saw a pretty substantial overhaul with this game. Even Super Mario Bros. 2, uh, which we've talked about on this show, it didn't change too much from its Japanese counterpart, Doki Doki Panic. Though with Power Blazer, there must have been a smart individual or maybe just a smart team. 
I couldn't find the exact details. I couldn't find who decided that it would be a worthy investment to refine the gameplay, refine the story and the graphics for the Western market. I've heard mentions of this, but I couldn't find the actual history behind it. So if you know, if you're an expert on Power Blazer and the kind of translation and localization of Power Blazer to Power Blade, uh, definitely hit me up. You can email me at tom at powertimepodcast.com. And it's through this localization effort that we get a completely reworked experience with Power Blade. The biggest difference is the replacement of Steve with Nova, who looks shockingly like Arnold Schwarzenegger from his films of that era, like Terminator. In fact, there's this story that Mike Winterbauer, who's the artist who designed the cover for Powerblade, he designed a bunch of great covers back in this era. Uh, He was contacted by presumably Arnold's legal team, but he was able to refute the claim because he typically dressed up as the character. He took photos as a reference, and he used this photo uh, while he was painting the cover for this. And the cover for the game is super iconic. It features this painting of uh, an Arnold-looking guy holding a steel boomerang. It's great. Uh, And I actually found a great interview with Mike Winterbauer where he was asked specifically uh, about this. Uh, And he said, the cover of Power Blade is a self-portrait of myself, and I smile every time I see the cover. It's not every day you get your portrait on the cover of a classic game box. When the cover published, I received a letter from copyright lawyers asking what reference I used to paint from. I sent them the picture of myself holding a T-square, and that was the end of it. Uh, I'm going to link to this full interview on retrogamegeeks.co.uk. Winter Power actually recently, uh, October of this year, he tweeted an image of the reference photo side by side with the box art. Uh, And that was just a few weeks ago. So I'll link that tweet up because it's it's great uh, to see those side by side. The other differences with Power Blade and Power Blazer are mostly gameplay differences. I found that Power Blade does a lot of things right, especially in areas where Power Blazer missed the mark. The difficulty seems much more manageable. Power Blazer is a game that is definitely Nintendo hard, quote unquote Nintendo hard, but Power Blade felt a bit more reasonable. The main reason for this is they have a multi-directional boomerang throwing in Power Blade. This is a surprising change that makes a huge difference in actually playing the title. Rather than being limited to just throwing the boomerang left and right, you can throw the boomerang in. I can't actually remember if it's five or eight directions, uh, but it's a lot more, and it definitely expands the scope of play, and it makes certain enemies that are hard to hit uh, much more easier and, and reasonable to hit, which makes the game just that much more enjoyable to play. The levels or sectors in Power Blade were also significantly retooled compared to the stages in Power Blazer, and by most accounts, for the better to allow for more exploration and choice. I didn't actually play Power Blazer, but I watched a ton of YouTube videos and it looks like the jumping mechanics have also been improved in Power Blade. This would also make for a more enjoyable platforming experience. The music is another highlight of this game in both versions. Kanuyo Yamashita, whose debut video game composition was the original Castlevania, composed the soundtrack for this game. In many ways, it feels very Mega Man-esque, in my opinion. It's a fantastic soundtrack, as we've heard in a lot of the memorable tunes that we've been listening to in this episode. So we're going to listen to one more. Let's listen to Sector 6, as remixed by Hyde209. And when we get back, we'll check out some commentary on this game from myself and also from others.
Again, that was Hyde 209 with the Sector 6 theme. So I want to quickly share just my thoughts on this particular game and then also share some thoughts from others that I gathered from around the web and also in various books. Here's some quick commentary from the book Good Intentions, which is edited by Jeremy Parrish. While it may look like little more than a Mega Man knockoff, with an Arnold Schwarzenegger wannabe grafted into the lead role, Power Blade was in fact a solid action platformer that stood on its own merits. In a nice change of pace, the US release was markedly superior to the Japanese version, Power Blazer, which had a much cutesier look than the American release. Power Blazer also featured clumsier mechanics and less inspired level design as well. The American version enjoyed more than a facelift. It legitimately became a better game. Later, it says the US revamp in particular pays homage to Mega Man without being slavish about it, succeeding on its own terms rather than failing on Capcom's. So I actually felt that this little recap from Good Intentions really sums up a lot of the criticism that I've read across the internet. I'm actually going to embed a video in the show notes for this episode from Jeremy Parrish. And this is a streaming segment that he does called Gintendo. And this is where he plays an NES or a Famicom game while drinking gin or maybe some other adult beverage. He tends to mix it up. It's a lot of fun. I really enjoy this segment that he does. And he played through Power Blade and Power Blazer earlier this year. And it was it was a lot of fun to watch the gameplay uh, with his particular perspective, and then also watch them back to back. So if you really want to get a taste for this game, I definitely recommend uh, seeing it through the lens of Jeremy Parrish. I also pulled another hot take on Power Blade from the NES Famicom Visual Compendium. This is a book that I own. It was published by Bitmap Books. It's an incredible book. I think I might actually do an episode on this book and the Super Famicom Super NES book, which is to be released in just a bit. Uh, But this particular criticism says, Power Blade is good looking, smooth, fast, and the unusual level design elevates it above other games in its genre. It's not as teeth grindingly difficult as some action platformers, but still delivers a solid gaming experience. If you had to play one of the two, I would recommend Power Blade. But just because it's something that I grew up with, I have a lot of nostalgia for. And I just love Mega Man knockoffs almost as much as Mega Man proper. Uh, That's what I would personally go back to. And I would love, it's always been a dream of mine too, because uh, Taito property is a Taito property. And it's currently owned by uh, Square Enix. They own all the Taito IPs. I would love to be able to buy that IP from Square Enix just so I can go, okay, Now, somebody make a new game. Go. So all in all, there's a lot of positive uh, recommendations for this game. I missed this game as a kid, along with Metal Storm and the next episode's featured game, Vice Project Doom. But as I'm seeing, this trio of featured games in Nintendo Power, they kind of represent an underappreciated wave of third-party hits that maybe they flew under the radar or maybe they're just not as fondly remembered as the Super Nintendo hype started rumbling around this exact same time. I went back and I played uh, Power Blade and I had such a blast playing this game. It's a really fantastic game. And I started playing Vice Project Doom for the first time and I had the same sentiment. And maybe you could say the same thing for Star Tropics, which we covered earlier this season. It's possible that we're already starting to see the shadow of the Super Nintendo eclipse some of these really compelling game experiences on the NES. 
Now we'll be seeing more NES games released well into 1994, and many of them are incredible, but in terms of memory, I think this 1991 period kind of represents a sort of fog where the Sega Genesis and the Super Nintendo took the attention off of some very merited, well-deserved games, despite these games being featured on Nintendo Power's covers. But what do you think? I would love your feedback on these games. Did you play these games growing up? Do you remember renting them, purchasing them, maybe playing with a friend? Do you remember these fondly, or do you feel like this era of NES games should be forgotten? Let me know. You can tweet me at Yo Powertime, Y-O Powertime, or you can email me at Tom at PowertimePodcast.com. We're going to keep this episode rolling. We're going to wrap things up with Power Blade. We've got some featured games to cover, starting with Totally Rad. Studying magic seemed like a totally rad idea to young Jake from Southern California. Under the tubular tutelage of the great Zebediah Pong, lessons were going well until totally grotesque creatures from the underworld attacked. Now Jake is the only hope for salvation of the surface world. Jake isn't defenseless, though. He has learned many spells, healing, time warping, transforming, and energy blasting. His skills will be tested in 12 sections of running, leaping, and flying action. And wait till you get a load of the size of the subterranean leaders. They're totally titanic. This is totally rad by Jalico. Uh, It was developed uh, using the MMC3 chip. 3.7 graphics and sound, 3.3 play control, 3.6 challenge and excitement, and 3.7 theme and fun. So again, we have an above average title here that's being reviewed in Nintendo Power. Uh, We see maps for all 12 areas of the game. We see tips and tricks for how to progress through. Uh, To know what a spell does in this game, to know what it does and how to use it, it kind of requires a little bit of background knowledge. And this might be in the instruction manual, uh, but here it says that you have to press start to bring up the subscreen, then press A to select the spell, and then press up and B to activate it. So it definitely shows that, you know, games, they weren't very intuitive. Uh, I'm sure this game didn't have a uh, instructional tutorial level the way that a lot of games do as they hold your hand and kind of walk you through the basics of the game. Maybe it does. Uh, I don't recall playing Totally Rad. I'm going to go back and play it because the graphics look really, really great. Uh, The game looks beautiful. It's definitely one of the better looking NES titles for this time, uh, to be sure. Uh, The enemy sprites look really cool. I think this is what they were referring to. Uh, Very large bosses, uh, very cool looking enemy sprites, kind of reminiscent of some of the later NES games that really start to push the hardware. Uh, So by all accounts, uh, Totally Rad looks like a great game. Uh, Dare I say, it looks totally rad. Uh, So if you have fond memories of this game, definitely let me know. Uh, The next game is Swordmaster. And Swordmaster is kind of a a dueling swordsman game. Uh, This was developed by Activision. Uh, 3.4 graphics and sound, 3.3 play control, 2.9 challenge and excitement, and 3.1 theme and font. So this is a little bit more on the average side, uh, just going off of the scores. Uh, Here, there's three basic attack techniques and two defensive stances of combat to fend off enemies. Uh, So this is true swordplay. We have the overhead stroke, the sidearm thrust, and the low thrust. Uh, You can jump in this game. And then for defense moves, you have the high shield and the low shield. Seven stages and kind of a sloth of enemies that you need to defeat. They're very detailed in this particular issue of Nintendo Power. We have their actual hit points, uh, so how many hit points you need to uh, inflict damage uh, to destroy. And then we have tips and tricks for how to kind of 
navigate through the the specific world here. Interesting game. Uh, this definitely looks like an interesting game. Uh, and then one of my favorite games uh, covered here is SCAT, S-C-A-T, Special Cybernetic Attack Team, where no man has gone and lived. The Special Cybernetic Attack Team, or S-C-A-T for short, is on a desperate mission to save Earth. Sound familiar? Natsume's first release of an NES game in America doesn't break any new ground in the storytelling, but the five blistering levels of action and exciting two-player option will keep action fans glued to their TVs. Uh, so this is great because the two characters that are listed here, again, this is another Natsume title uh, here, so very similar to Power Blade, uh, and we've already talked about uh, this Arnold Schwarzenegger-like character uh, in Power Blade, and here we have the main character of Scat is Arnold. Uh, he was an average Joe before the president called. Now with cybernetic enhancements, he is more dangerous than any man on earth. And the other second player that you could select is Sigourney, who looks a lot like Sigourney Weaver. She is the match of any man or alien, a master of weapons and tactics, and her bionic abilities are more than skin deep. So this game is literally pulling from American action films, uh, story-wise, and also the characters as well. Uh, so really, really interesting. Uh, the score here, we have 3.6 graphics and sound, 4.1 play control, 3.4 challenge and excitement, and 3.1 theme and fun. Uh, the screenshots definitely make this game appear to be like a, a Contra-type game, uh, and that makes sense. It's two players, which makes it even more Contra-ish, uh, but this is a really, really fun game. It's a lot of fun to play. I wish we had more time to go into it, talk a little bit more about it, uh, but we're going to keep this episode rolling. And that's actually a good spot. We'll take a break for a music interlude. Uh, see if you can guess what game this is from. It's a rare one. You're only going to know it if you owned it. So again, unless you own this game, you likely didn't recognize that music, but this is from the Monopoly soundtrack. Again, Monopoly for the NES. We have six pages in Nintendo Power dedicated to this classic board game turned NES game pack. Mostly screenshots of this game's lackluster graphics in this section, but all the text is fun facts about Monopoly and its game history and general tips for playing and winning. These are tips that would be just as relevant if you were playing the game in real life. And a fun aside, Monopoly just arrived on the Nintendo Switch as well. And just a quick plug for one of my favorite podcasts, if you haven't checked out Run, Jump, Stomp's Switchcraft, it's the absolute best source of news and commentary for the Nintendo Switch. So definitely check that out. I'll link to it in the show notes. And we actually had Bill uh, from Switchcraft on the show. Uh, he was on one of the Summer of Streaming interview episodes. Uh, definitely worth going back and checking out if you didn't listen to, to any of those interviews. Uh, but there is a point here relevant to Monopoly. Uh, the game itself on Switch, Monopoly is $40. And every time that Monopoly comes up on Switchcraft, it is so great to hear the passion in which Run Jump Stomp criticizes the insanity of that pricing. 
Uh, and it is absolutely insane. So I think that I've played Monopoly on almost every console at this point. Uh, so I agree to kind of throw down $40 once again to play the same experience uh, seems a little ridiculous uh, because I didn't really see anything specific added to this, this experience with the new version of Monopoly. By all means, I might be better off tracking down an NES game pack and just playing on my NES. But up next, we have Now Playing. And Now Playing is a section that highlights games that didn't really deserve or warrant feature coverage, but they were reviewed, so they do have scores. And the games here are Double Dragon 3. This is the next classic beat-em-up in the Double Dragon series. I'm actually kind of surprised that this wasn't a featured game. Double Dragon is a big franchise. Uh, Double Dragon 2, I believe, received a pretty substantial feature. Uh, and Double Dragon 3 just built on that legacy. Uh, we also have The Simpsons, Bart vs. the Space Mutants by Acclaim. I can understand why this wasn't featured. I know that The Simpsons were really hot right now. Uh, it was a big deal. I, I believe Bart Simpson was on the uh, what, December or maybe November issue of People Magazine or Time Magazine uh, the previous year. So The Simpsons were very big in 1991. But this game was not enjoyable. I did not enjoy Bart vs. the Space Mutants at all. I found this game to be so hard. And I love The Simpsons. And I, I love a lot of Simpsons games. Uh, but I just found this one to be so challenging that I just didn't enjoy it at all. Uh, RoboCop 2, uh, that is, of course, RoboCop 2, <laughs> the sequel to RoboCop. We have Konami's Base Wars. This is a robot baseball title that was developed by Konami, and it is so much fun. I really enjoy Base Wars, and if you want to just check out some videos or check out some screenshots of this game, you'll see kind of how kooky it is, uh, but it is a lot of fun. I liked baseball games generally uh, for the NES, and this one was definitely a standout uh, alongside RBI Baseball, Bases Loaded, etc. Uh, so check this one out. Uh, next, we have The Uninvited, which I didn't play, but this is a Shadowgate-like first-person adventure game. Uh, it is by Kemko Sika, who also did Deja Vu and Shadowgate, of course. Uh, this particular title looks super creepy, uh, but I believe this uh, did pretty well, review-wise. Uh, Metal Mech by Jalico, and we have a game called Zombie Nation, which I haven't heard of before. I'm just reading about it for the first time in Nintendo Power, and the description of this game is so ridiculous, I have to read it to you. Four stages of zombie zapping action await in this weird action thriller from Meldak. An evil alien has landed in the desert of Nevada and has stolen the mystic sword of the samurai. Using this sword, the alien has turned all of the citizens of the nation into zombies and, among other things, has caused the Statue of Liberty to come to life. Pretty strange, huh? The head of the samurai is the rightful owner of the sword, and it's your mission to pilot the head through a battle with zombies of North America. Watch out for killer beams and blast away. So you appear to be uh, this samurai head who floats and fires off random things throughout various locations in North America to battle zombies. It has samurais, aliens. It, it's, this game is crazy. Uh, and this just is a representative of how ridiculous some NES titles ended up being. Uh, so check this one out. Maybe. I, I, don't, I can't actually recommend it, but maybe check out Zombie Nation. Uh, also featured here, we have Kiwi Craze, Tecmo World Cup Soccer, and Beetlejuice. Uh, we also have a Game Boy feature. Uh, so I mentioned this. Uh, this is a special feature. More Game Boy reviews than ever. Uh, this is a really big section. I'm going to kind of pass over it quickly. Uh, but what I think this section represents 
is a continued commitment to the variety of games and genres on this handheld. Uh, so we mentioned this earlier. Uh, it is on the cover, uh, this particular section. Uh, Game Boy was really, really big in 1991, and it was due to this variety of gameplay experiences. So we have The Sword of Hope, which was an RPG. We have Ultima, The Runes of Virtue. And this is a quote. Finally, there is an adventure for Game Boy to rival the scope and excitement of such NES hits as The Legend of Zelda. So they're really pushing that you can have this NES-like experience on the Game Boy. Uh, we have R-Type. We have a port of R-Type, side-scrolling shoot 'em up Mickey's Dangerous Chase. Uh, this, I, this game actually looks great. Uh, I surprisingly didn't spend too much time with Capcom Game Boy titles, despite having a Game Boy and being very into Game Boy. Uh, but I want to go back and check out some of the Capcom games uh, when I get a chance. WWF Superstars, we have Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, Macho King, Randy Savage. Uh, that's not a typo, but I think that it was probably uh, meant to be uh, Macho Man, Randy Savage. Ted DiBiase and Mr. Perfect. You can use the Game Link. Uh, so this is really cool. This game is Game Link compatible. So you can play that uh, two-player Game Boy action just by linking up uh, two uh, bricks together uh, and finding a friend. Uh, this game actually looks funner than its NES WWF counterparts. Um, so I want to actually check out this game as well. Uh, we have Pac-Man, Caesar's Palace, and then coming soon, we have Mega Man based on characters from the original Mega Man. Uh, this, of course, is the infamous Mega Man title, uh, the first of a few on Game Boy, Faceball 2000, Gauntlet 2, Solstice, and Final Fantasy Legend 2. All right, moving on to our next segment of the show, we have previews. Uh, previews now really consist of Pack Watch. This is where we kind of get a look into the future of NES game packs. We have Vice Project Doom, and we're going to be talking about this game extensively in the next episode, so I'm not going to cover it too much. The graphics look super impressive. Uh, here it says it combines Spy Hunter-style driving, Operation Wolf-style first-person view, and side-scrolling action. Uh, really, really fun game. I'm having a blast. I'm playing through it right now. Can't wait to talk about it and do a little bit of research uh, and share that with you in a future show. Uh, then we have Battletoads. So we learn more about Battletoads here than in any other issue that we've seen. Uh, we learn about their special moves. We learn about this unique story uh, that we'll hear about, the variety of gameplay and the environments. Uh, we learn that you can uh, accidentally hit your partners, uh, which is always interesting in a game, two-player game, when you can hit uh, your, your, your partner in crime. Uh, and we ultimately, we see some more screenshots than we've seen in the past. This is an absolutely classic game from Rare. I'm really excited uh, to dig into this game a few weeks from now. Uh, this will be covered in a future issue of Nintendo Power. We also learn about the Lone Ranger, which is based on the TV show. Uh, we have Bill Elliott's NASCAR Challenge, Bucky O'Hare, Star Trek, and Tiny Toons, all mentioned here. Uh, and then we have a little call out here for Treasure Master. Boxing star Mike Tyson will return to the NES in American Software Corps' new game pack, Power Punch. It pits Iron Mike against interplanetary opponents where the final count is really final. One of the most appealing aspects of Power Punch is that you box as Mike Tyson. 
Details were sketchy on ASC's other project, Treasure Master. So there's two things here I want to cover. The first is I don't think Power Punch was ever released uh, in the United States or or maybe ever. I'm going to do a little bit of research on Power Punch. We talked a little bit about it before on the show, I believe, uh, but I don't believe Power Punch was released because Mike Tyson found himself in some legal trouble. Uh, he did some bad things back in 1991, 92. Uh, I'm not quite sure. Uh, and then the other game, Treasure Master, when that game gets featured again, I will tell a story, uh, an upsetting story about a young Tom Tate and his experience with Treasure Master. Other games covered here, we have Dragon Warrior 3, Bill and Ted's excellent video game adventure, F-15 Strike Eagle, Ultimate Air Combat, The Rocketeer, Captain Planet, Final Fantasy 2, which will arrive on the Super Nintendo in the fall. And then we see that THQ's license continues to grow. We have The Flash, Where's Waldo, Vanilla Ice, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, and Home Alone. So a lot of different properties that THQ will be covering. We have Trivial Pursuit, Greg Norman's Power Golf, and Mega Man 4. Though Capcom's not sure if it'll be on the NES or the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. There's actually a, a, a line here that says Capcom is thinking about doing a fourth big screen adventure for Mega Man but haven't decided yet if it will be for the NES or the 16-bit Nintendo system. So really interesting to think that there's an alternate universe out there where Mega Man 4 is not released for the NES, but rather the Super Nintendo, which means Mega Man 5 and 6 might have also followed suit. It also might have meant that Mega Man X was never really put into production. Uh, So some really interesting uh, comments here in this particular previous section. We have another Golgo 13 and Tecmo Bowl, Ninja Gaiden 3 and Tecmo Bowl for Game Boy. And then we have a Space Shuttle Simulator. I don't know if that was official, uh, NASA official title, uh, but it sounds pretty awesome. Our next section, we have That's So Retro. Uh, the first thing I want to cover here, uh, we have in Mailbox letters from soldiers that were stationed in the Persian Gulf. And this is super timely since we just celebrated Veterans Day. And the line here is Game Boy is hot in the desert. And there's a letter from an Air Force member, U.S. Marine Corps member, and an Army Staff Sergeant, uh, all serving uh, for Operation Desert Shield uh, or taking part in Operation Desert Shield, uh, talking about their Game Boy. The Howard and Nestor comic here is uh, Take on Deja Vu. It's a really, really interesting one. A lot of text, uh, definitely text-heavy, a lot of exposition, uh, something that you definitely got in that particular uh, that p- particular game. Um, so interesting retro comic here, Howard and Nestor. Uh, and I always like to, in that so retro, when possible, feature one or two of the gameplay counselor profiles. Uh, These are the fine men and women who served as gameplay counselors back at Nintendo headquarters uh, and, you know, writing for Nintendo Power and answering the hotline. And uh, they have such interesting stories. Um, So here I'm actually going to feature three gameplay counselor profiles. The first is Andrew Kreischer, became a gameplay counselor September 1989. His hobbies include making underwater demolitions, leaping tall buildings in a single bound, and gardening. His best NES accomplishment, he completed Solstice with one magician. His favorite NES games, Solstice and Mega Man. Uh, Interesting. uh, Underwater demolitions and gardening. Uh, We have Dan Pelletier. Became a gameplay counselor in June of 1989. His hobbies include skydiving and hiking. Best NES accomplishment. Completed Kickle Cubicle in a straitjacket. 
His favorite NES game is Nobunaga's Ambition. Uh, I love this. I can just picture the antics going on in Nintendo headquarters. I don't know how they even managed to get a straitjacket to uh, accomplish that challenge. And then finally, we have Joel Niedrich. Uh, August 1989, became a gameplay counselor. His hobbies include listening to music, riding motorcycles, and housekeeping. Uh, very interesting suite of hobbies there, Joel. Uh, his best NES accomplishment, he finished in first place in Michael Andretti's World GP, and his favorite NES game is Battle of Olympus. Uh, so I loved uh, that as well, uh, that you know, when I'm not listening to music and riding my motorcycle, I'm housekeeping. Uh, so Joel, Dan, and Andrew, a big Power Time podcast salute to you. Thank you uh, for your years of service. And finally, one retro bit of interest is that the pullout poster for this issue is Sim City. This is presumably the NES version of Sim City, which we know from the previous episode was never actually released. We talked a little bit about this, and I, I think there's going to be some history that gets revealed in the coming months. There's been some movement around the NES uh, Sim City. Uh, history. So I'm going to keep everyone posted on that because it's really interesting kind of saga. In the next section of the show, we have, are we having fun yet? And I want to kind of quickly touch on this article, the British invasion, which was a tour of different English developers. This article starts off by explaining the difference between a developer and a publisher, uh, showcases the volume of great developers in the UK with a map so we see Rare, uh, one of the first developers outside of Japan. Strong partnership with Nintendo. Uh, they developed Slalom, RC Pro-Am, Wizards and Warriors, and they would later develop Battletoads, which we talked about a bit. Uh, Software Creations Limited. We have Ocean Software Limited, known for a lot of games based on movie licenses. So you'll rec uh, recognize them. Uh, they did Jurassic Park, I believe. Elite, which also focuses on character license and arcade ports. So all in, there are 11 developers that are listed here. We have Argonaut Software Limited in London, Audiogenic Software Limited in Harrow, Beam Software, which uh, they were opening a British office soon, Elite Systems Limited in Walsall. We have Gremlin Graphics Software Limited in Sheffield, Ocean Software in Manchester, Psygnosis Limited in Liverpool, Rare and Twycross Warks. Uh, the Sales Curve Limited in London, Software Creations in Manchester, and The Source in West Yorkshire. So if I had unlimited time and unlimited resources, I think a really cool article would be to kind of research and investigate where all these companies and all the different people at these companies are today. Uh, because we know uh, Rare was acquired by Microsoft uh, at one point. Uh, and it would just be interesting to kind of see uh, the history of these different organizations. Maybe a lot of them folded pretty quickly, uh, but I'm, I'm curious to know, like, is Ocean Software still a thing? Are they still operating in any form uh, these days? Uh, the next thing in Are We Having Fun Yet is Celebrity Profiles, and this week it is Jeremy Miller, who played Ben Seaver on Growing Pains. Not too much of interest here, but I will note that his favorite game, uh, listed is Star Tropics. It's incredible, he says. It's a lot like Zelda, only better. Uh, so it's nice to see Star Tropics getting some love here by uh, Ben Seaver from Growing Paints. And we're going to start to wrap up this episode. And as we always do, we like to count down the top 10 Game Boy titles and the top 10 NES games as listed in the NES Top 30. So for Game Boy, we have Super Mario Land, TMNT, Fall of the Foot Clan, Final Fantasy Legend, Tetris, Batman, 
Paperboy, Gargoyle's Quest, Castlevania, Dr. Mario, and Double Dragon. And then NES Top 30, we have Super Mario Bros. 3, Mega Man 3, TMNT 2, the arcade game, Final Fantasy, Dr. Mario, Dragon Warrior 2. At the number 7 spot, we have Crystallis. Number 8, we have The Legend of Zelda. We have Tetris. And we have NES Play Action Football at number 10. And the conclusion here, we have a letter from Howard Phillips, the Game Master, and he talks about Battletoads. Uh, he says Battletoads has all the makings of a big hit, and it looks like he was able to uh, visit uh, Rare Limited when he toured England, uh, which is pretty awesome. Uh, he also mentions here that the Howard and Nestor comic has a new look and is being drawn by a new artist, Art Nichols of New York City. So I kind of glossed over the Deja Vu Howard and Nestor comic, but apparently it is kind of a landmark for Nintendo Power as it's being drawn by a new artist. Up next week, we're going to be covering Battletoads, the comics, The Lone Ranger, Vice Project Doom, and Gauntlet 2 for Game Boy. So definitely stay tuned for the next episode. I'm really excited to jump into Vice Project Doom. Uh, it's a great game, and I'm excited to uh, share a little bit more about it. Featured music for this episode, the intro and outro music is used with permission, and that is produced by Azor Flux. Then we heard DJ Cutman, Retro Shred, and High 209, each covering various sectors from Powerblade. And I'm going to share all of these links in the show notes, which you can also check out at powertimepodcast.com slash 23. Uh, I just want to mention that all of these artists, they typically have music that's available for purchase. And a lot of it is pay what you like. So for as little as a dollar, you could purchase a full album of really fantastic video game music. And finally, I just want to mention that Power Time Podcast is brought to you proudly by listeners like you and your ongoing support by subscribing, by listening, and by leaving quick and honest reviews on Apple Podcasts or your app of choice. If you enjoyed this episode, and I really hope that you did, please leave a quick review and let me know what you think, what you liked, what you didn't like. Your honest feedback really just helps me continue to improve the show. Power Time is also brought to you by early adopting patrons like Jessica and my mom. You know, my mom doesn't even listen to the show, but she was kind enough to plunk down the money to help support things like hosting costs and purchasing music like what you've heard on this episode. I'm still deciding on what Patreon tiers make sense for this community. I'm going to start by sharing some show notes and post through Patreon to patrons only. So if you're eager to throw a few dollars my way, you can head on over to patreon.com slash power time. You can support the show for as little as a dollar. Though the absolute best way that you can support right now is completely free. And that is to simply share Power Time with a friend or family member who might dig it. You could also post it on things like Reddit or different message boards if you think that there's a community out there that would also enjoy this content. It is 100% free to share the show, and I greatly appreciate it. You can interact with me and the Power Time community through Twitter by tweeting me at Yo Power Time, Y-O Power Time. Hang out on the Discord server at powertimepodcast.com slash Discord, where you can uh, talk with me and a few other listeners. I occasionally share some really fun screenshots and discoveries while researching the issues. Uh, so anytime I come up with anything uh, interesting or cool, I'll probably post it there quickly. And finally, you can sign up for my weekly email newsletter and get access to a private Facebook group at powertimepodcast.com slash unlocked. Well, that's going to wrap up today's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed taking this trip down memory lane and uh, paging through volume number 23 of Nintendo Power and learning a bit about Power Blade and its Japanese origins in Power Blazer.
I want to thank you as always for your time and your attention. Stay tuned for the next episode. And as always, keep on playing with power.